Good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Troy Baum with the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies. Coming to you live right here from our studios in Daytona Beach, Florida. If you're joining us for the very first time, this is the Raven Institute which is our daily program uh, brought to you by Raven Ministries International. We're here each day, Monday through Friday, from 9 a.m. until 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for an expository look at the Word of God. Presently, we are doing a study. We're about, this is our ninth class on the book of the Revelation. If you uh, desire to, to, to get a better understanding or, or, or just maybe a, a vantage point that you haven't considered in the past concerning the Revelation, this might be the class for you. If you're just joining us and you've missed the previous ones, we actually make these available on our website free of charge for, for download in MP3 format. You can go to www.biggrace.com and click on Raven Institute to download those messages absolutely free of charge with no copyright. Freely we've received and freely we give. You can also go to the website and find out more information about Raven Ministries, biggrace.com, and about what we do. Raven is an acronym for Restoring a Vision and Evangelizing Nations. And that's what we're here for. We believe that, uh, that when we begin to get in the Word of God, God begins to give us a vision. And not just just any vision, but his vision to go out and to reach a darkened world. And that vision has got to begin with getting on our face before him, knowing him in prayer, and, and, and understanding him and seeking him through his word. And that way he can give us instructions on what he desires for our hearts and lives. So that's what we're here today for. If you have questions, uh, please hold the live questions off if you're listening to us live today uh, till the top of the hour. We'll be glad to answer them. Or if you have questions that you'd like to send in, you can email them to myself, Pastor Troy, and my email address is raven, R-A-V-E-N, at biggrace.com, raven at biggrace.com. Love to answer those by getting any uh, uh, that are relative to our discussion on the book of the Revelation. We'll answer them right here in this live format. If it's another question about the Bible or whatever else, uh, be glad to correspond with you privately. Privately, telephone you, whatever would be necessary to, to help you in that area. Also, if you have prayer requests, you can send those to pray at biggrace.com. Be loving to lift up your prayer requests and needs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, thank you so much for joining us here today. And we just pray that God blesses you and that God just opens uh, each one of our hearts and minds to a greater understanding and intimacy with him. So, Father, we just come to you right now in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Lord God, Father, we know that we only have access, Lord God, not only into your throne of grace and mercy through the blood of Jesus, but, Lord God, we only have understanding of your word as the, the Holy Spirit, Lord God, comes in and, and guides and leads us into all truth. So, Father, we thank you for the opportunity, Lord God, to come together with our brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord God, in a, in a, in a format, in a forum that, that transcends, Lord God, Father, geography, it transcends, uh, Lord God, time zones, it transcends denominations, it transcends all these things, Lord God, because you are a transcending God. You transcend, Lord God, the ideologies and the philosophies and the religious limitations of men because, Lord God, you sit high up on a throne, Lord God, and above you there is none else. So, Father, we just confess today, Father, that we are completely and totally dependent upon Jesus through the person of the Holy Spirit, Lord God, to work into our lives and to open up your revealed truth to us. So today, Lord God, as we come to this place, we just ask you to cleanse us and to forgive us for all of our sins, Lord God. Anything that we have in our heart, our mind, Lord God, our life that we've committed or done or failed to do, Lord God, that would that would keep us from, from knowing you in the way that we should. We just lay those things down and we turn away from that sin, Lord God, and, and just ask you to come and fill us with your righteousness today. Because we know, Lord God, that the, the righteousness of your word is only going to be derived, Lord God, or, or, or understood or received, Lord God, as we're walking as vessels, Lord 
of righteousness today, Lord God. So we thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you that the word says if we're faithful to confess our sins, you're faithful to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Lord God. So we just pray, Lord God, that we would come before you, Lord God, with the right heart and the right mind because we have got to have the mind of Christ today. We've got to have an understanding of what you're speaking, Lord God, in this late hour. We just ask for your encouragement for the body of Christ, Lord God, those that have been struggling, Lord God, those that have found themselves in difficult situations, Lord God, battles. I just ask, Lord God, for, for you to touch them, Lord God, those that are just have been lacking provision. Father, I thank you that we've never seen the righteous forsaken or God's seed begging for bread. That, Lord God, you said that when we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, all these other things that we have need of, Lord God, will be added to us. So I pray for those that have been battling, Lord God, times of struggle and times of lack, Lord God, that you would just bring increase, Lord God, into their homes to provide for their families, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. And Father, for those that have been sick, I pray in Jesus' name right now, Lord God, for healing, Lord God, to come upon them. Father, those that have been praying and interceding for their friends or their family, Lord God, or co-workers, Lord God, for a touch from the Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord God, by his blood and by his stripes, Lord God, that they are healed. I curse every sickness and disease, Lord God, and I declare what Jesus declared, Lord God, that, Father, it is done, it is finished, Lord God, rise and walk and be healed in Jesus' name. So, Father, bless this time. Father, I just ask, Lord God, for you to equip me and empower me, Lord God, to do that which you called me to do today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Once again, thank you guys for just slipping in on us. Thank you so much for joining us today. We just hope that, uh, that, that God reveals something to you uh, through, this, through our study in the Word of God that's really going to empower you in your service to Him. You know, let me, let me just say something this morning. Can you imagine for a moment the, the, the experience that the Apostle John had here in the Revelation? I mean, just think about it just for a second. You know, every time I just meditate upon this, I'm thinking, you know, you know, in, in full-blown, you know, beyond the, the, the realm of uh, 3D technology or technicolor imaginations or whatever it may be, can you imagine what he was experiencing? You know, it's, it's, I think sometimes it's, it's, it's easy to lose sight of the fact that what we're studying here and what we're seeing revealed in this uh, was, was actually happened to a very a real historical person. This isn't just some analogy or, 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 or some story or, or some fairy tale. This is something that a person like you and I got to experience. I mean, this manifestation, this unveiling, this revelation of Jesus. You know, you think about the, the servant of the, of the Lord Jesus and how this, this man was, was really selected to, to see things that, that, that people had not seen in this detail and to really deliver uh, a message to God's people that really should be the message of ultimate encouragement to every single one of us. I mean, we ought to read, get up every day in our devotional time and, and just pick a chapter out of the Revelation and just begin to read it or just flip to the last few chapters, couple, two or three chapters and say, listen, I want God to give me a, just an encouragement because it's encouraging when I begin to look at those. Just read the first, first one and the, and the last one and be, get encouraged every day. And so you got to see it. And what's so important uh, that as I look at it, you know, it was, it was probably a time in his life that was probably at his darkest moment. I mean, you think about it. He, he had been exiled to a, to a slave island. He was already in, up in age. And so he, all, he was the last of the apostles alive. And so you can you imagine just on a personal level the conditions when he got the greatest revelation. Folks, I say that to tell you this. Maybe you are going through maybe some of the toughest times of your life. And, and maybe you're going through hardships and you're just struggling. You know, sometimes in the midst of... of, of 
of, of opposition. You know, we talked about in the midst of isolation that we come through revelation, but sometimes in the midst of opposition is when revelation comes. And God just shows up on the scene in a powerful way. I, I know for myself, sometimes when it, it seems like it's the, that 11th hour, it's right before midnight, so to speak, that he shows up. And that's exactly what, what happened here. He was he found himself in, in probably the, the most difficult time in the natural, and it opened the door up for the most incredible experience he could have in the supernatural. Suddenly what he found himself done, really, he was given kind of a grand tour of the next 2,000 years and and then instructed to to write it down for us to see. Now think about that for a moment. Here he was, exiled Isle of Patmos, slave island, up in age, the the last of his troops, so to speak, and all of a sudden he's been given a spiritual grand tour of a period that of 2,000 plus, 3,000 really years if you include the, the millennial rate of Christ and into eternity. And so he was given that glimpse. And, and you know, I'm, I'm sure that carried him. I'm sure, I'm sure after the fact, you know, he thought to himself, you know, uh, big deal about the island, big deal about everything else because I have seen. And, you know, I think of, you know, Paul the Apostle, what he saw when he, he said, I'm, I knew a man these years. And he said he was caught up into the third heaven. And, and you really saw the dynamic of, of Paul's ministry change. And you, you hear things, what he said, you know, I've suffered these things and I count it all joy. Yeah, absolutely. When you get a revelation of the third heaven, like Paul got, like Daniel got, like obviously John got, it, it'll change your, your perspective on things. And so my prayer is, God, give your people that, that look. Give your people that glimpse through your word and through prayer and, and th- through dreams and visions as you promised so they can see it. And so I, I want to I ask a question. What is the perspective in, in which he's viewing this from. Speaking of, of John, you know, is it the, the it, it, you know, for us, we, we studied it the last few days. You know, it's the, it's the perspective of being in the Spirit. Write it down. It's the perspective of what we're going to see in these, these next chapters that we talk about. His perspective was of that of being in the Spirit. And folks, listen. You know, it's so very important that we remember that his perspective is being in the Spirit. Uh, because as we look at these next two chapters, because they're going to deal with things directly related to us, the body of Christ, and how we're seen not from our own vantage point or the vantage point of our friends or the vantage point of our, uh, of our culture, but we're going to see how things are viewed from the vantage point of eternity. Okay? And so, you know, we think about the church and we think about what God thinks about us or whatever else. And we always want to look at it from a skewed vantage point. What we're going to see here as we study these seven churches of, of, of Asia is, is the vantage point of heaven. And he's going to give this. Romans 12.3 says this. Romans 12.3. Paul the Apostle speaking. He says, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. But think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. You know what faith allows you to do, folks? Faith allows you to see the, the, the heavenly perspective. It allows you to see the perspective of, of heaven. Why? Because I know that faith, by definition, is the moral conviction of the truthfulness of God. And so if I get a moral conviction, if something inside of me sees things like God sees things, I don't see them shrouded in my opinions. I don't see them shrouded through culture or, or the, the vain and rudimentary teachings of men. I see them as he sees them. So he tells us, don't see, don't see yourself more highly than you think. But what you need to see, think soberly, and you need to, to look at things how God looked at things. Or another way that it can be said, I guess, in Romans 12, 3 is, or man should not have an unrealistic viewpoint of himself, but should view himself from the vantage point of God. And so I, I, the only way to really to get an honest assessment of oneself is really, folks, is to measure ourselves against the accurate standard. 
And so what we do in the body of Christ sometimes, we measure ourselves against one another. Well, you know what? I'm, be- I'm doing better than that sister. or I'm, I'm, I'm closer to God than, than that brother. Or my church, you know, is, is doing more in the community than that church. Or, you know, but here's what 1 Corinthians 2, 12 and 14, 12 through 14 says. 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 14. It says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us from God. And verse 13 says, These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but with what the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Okay? What do you compare spiritual things with? Spiritual. So if you want to compare your, your, your spiritual life with something, what do you need to compare it to? The Spirit of God. Verse 14. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness to him, nor can we know them because they are spiritually discerned. And so what we're going to see is we're going to see the vantage point of the spiritually discerning. It's to see the spiritual, uh, really conditions and implications of the church throughout the ages and, and, and really leading up to, to Christ's return. So John had to be given this spiritual perspective on these things. Otherwise, he would have viewed them through the natural man. So here's what happened. I'm going to give you three quick things as we talk about what he's going to see. He was led away in the Spirit. He was led away in the Spirit so he could see things in the Spirit. So he could see things in the Spirit. Number two, so he could see things in the Spirit. That's not, uh, he, so he could see things in the Spirit. Number two. Number three, so he could speak things by the Spirit. So he was led away in the Spirit, so he could see things in the Spirit, so he could speak things by the Spirit, so the things which were which are unseen by the natural man, which have really eternal consequences upon each and every one of us in this world, could be revealed. And so when Jesus, really what he's teaching, uh, uh, his disciples, John included, here's, here's something that he said in Matthew 6, 9 and 10. Matthew 6, 9 through 10. He said, After this manner, therefore pray, Our Father, which where is where? In heaven. Hallowed be our, your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Or I guess I put it this way. God the Father who sees things from the unfettered eternal perspective, your name is holy. Allow your perspective to become our perspective so that we can walk according to your precepts. And so I'm saying, God, I want, to, I, want to, I want my mind, Lord God, to think upon heavenly things. I want to be seated with you in heavenly places in regards to the way I, I think. But the church, though, folks, here's what we've done. We've convinced ourselves that we are okay without truly seeing things how God sees things. We, we, we think our, our lives are okay. We think God is impressed with our compromise. We think God is impressed with our lukewarmness. We think God is satisfied just that he got us. You know, and it's almost like a, a guy that was that was so desirous off of a particular young woman. And, and finally she comes to him and she says, you know what, I, I, I want to be with you. And, and she says, but listen, I want to tell you I've got five or six other lovers. And you know what? I'm going to continue to, to, to be intimate with them. I'm going to continue to give myself to those five or six other lovers. And you just need to be satisfied that I come to you periodically. You know, we, we would think to ourselves, how perverse. But folks, really, that's exactly what the church has tried to get God to. We said we've, we, we've become lovers of this world. We, we've reflected the, the, of the world. And we've, take, we've adopted all these things that are so worldly, and we, like a lover. And we've told God, okay, listen. You just need to be satisfied that I come on Sunday and I sing a song or I preach a message or I sit in a pew or I write a check. 
Folks, I tell you what, God is not impressed with those things because God is not looking at things through the vantage point of, of the natural man. He is comparing spiritual things to, to spiritual. So what's happened is it's been like the, the remember the, the, the Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale, the emperor has no, no clothes. And in, 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 in that fairy tale, he had these, uh, these con artists that come and they said, we want to make you this new suit. And they, they said, we got this, this fabric that's so beautiful, it just happens to be invisible and, 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 and stupid people can't see it. And so he went along with it because he didn't want to be considered stupid. And so that's exactly really what's happened with the church. We've been seduced by the adversary to be thinking that we're clothed with righteousness. And we don't want to say that we're not because the the adversary has done a real good job of putting out the right books and having the right TV programs and having the right mega churches say that we're, we're clothed in something that's so great and so nice. But folks, the emperor has no clothes and the church has not been clothed with, with the righteousness. In other words, the church has not walked in the correct perspective. And so, so now the examination of and really the prescription of or for the church is about to be seen from God's point of view. And so let me ask you the question once again. Do you ever ask yourself, how does God see me? How does God see me? When you're angry, do you say, I wonder how God's looking at my attitude. When you're, when you're gossiping, do you ever say to yourself, I wonder what God thinks about this conversation. When you're unforgiving, I wonder if you say to yourself, I wonder what God thinks about my heart. When you're, when you're walking in the, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, do you say, I, I wonder if, how, how God's thinking about this situation. And you've got to ask yourself that really all the time. Or it is, if, it, ask yourself this question. If there was a conversation about me in heaven, what would they be saying? What would be the, the topic of conversation if they're, they're, they're talking about how I really am? And so here, here in the next two chapters, what we're going to do is we're going to get a look or a listen at that conversation which is going to heaven. And I want, to keep, I want you to keep in mind a few things as we look at what's being written to these seven churches. I'm going to give you four things, uh, and Deb will put those on the screen if you're watching us live. And so I'm going to give you four things to look at uh, in regards to what's being written to these seven churches. Number one. These are letters written to seven literal churches that were in existence during the time that the letter was written. Letters to, to seven literal churches. Number two, these letters were addressed and sent to the angel or to the pastoral leader of these congregations. So the letter was sent to the leader of those congregations. Folks, that's really important because, you know what, a, a lot of people, uh, you know, if you're in a church, for instance, today, or you're listening to this recorded or, or, or later on, you know what? God, God speaks through the messenger or the angel of that church. And I know a lot of people that are in places, uh, churches that are in compromise, and they stick around and they say to themselves, you know what, I'm going to stay here because I'll, I'll be able to make a difference. Uh, folks, I've, I've been in dozens of churches. I've seen it happen. You will never change the directive of the church from the pew. Because that, what that does, that operates contrary to the principles that God has established. Right or wrong, you know, you will never, what you'll be doing otherwise is usurping the authority of that messenger. The messenger can be wrong and the, the, the people are going to bear the consequences and God will bring correction to that. He, he won't use you to bring that consequences to that. So what he, he addresses that letter and he brings, and we'll see, he'll give uh, commendations to that, uh, to that leader or that pastoral leader, but he'll also give condemnations to and through it. And so it's how that leader uh, accepts those things and how he does. And so what you'll see is people become a product of their leadership. And so if, if the leadership is compromising, the people will compromise. And they don't always have to be the same compromise. 
The leader may compromise, and maybe he's in, in, in sexual immorality, or maybe he's in, in doctrinal error. And, and maybe your compromise won't be sexual immorality or doctrinal error, but because he's bringing compromise into you, it's going to find that iniquity in your life. Maybe you'll compromise and putting up with it. You see what I'm saying? You'll compromise by, by staying there and thinking, you know what, I've got to hold on. And so, folks, you've got to look at how he addresses those. The third thing he says, it also speaks to seven distinguishable periods of time during the church age. Speaks to seven distinguishable periods of time during this, the church age. And, and those things occurred between the death of Christ and the rapture of the church. And so the fourth thing is that there are components within the ranks of each church age or period that carry over really into, into each following period that just continues to contaminate the body. Let me give you a, a way to put that. There are components that will carry over into each age, into each uh, proceeding uh, uh, age. And what those do is they just further contaminate. So what you're going to see when we look at the, the church at Ephesus, you're going to see him addressing it, certain, certain issues. But by the time we get to, the, to the, the, the seventh church, the church at Laodicea, really what you're going to be able to see is all of those things that have filtered down to it, to the day and age in which we live. And so I want you to take care to look at a couple of things also. We saw those, those seven issues or those seven things, but I want us to understand, and here's, the, here's how we want to apply it. There's going to be the historical or practical application and the personal spiritual application. The practical historical application. We're going to look at really what it was, what John was seeing relative to those actual churches, then also the personal or spiritual application. How do those things speak to me? What are those things doing in my life? How, how can I apply what was going on in the things that he said to them? How is that going to affect me personally? Folks, the reason for this is that you're going to be able to see how the errors of these ages not really just only affected those who lived it firsthand, but you'll see how much of it's still at work today. And, you'll, you, and as we go through this, you'll say, yep, I see that. Yep, that's what's going on. Yep, I've experienced that. Yep, that's what I'm having to, to look at. And so I want us to first look at, we're going to look at the church, uh, the letter to the church at Ephesus. And this is Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Revelation 2, verses 1 through 7. And here's what it says. And it says, Unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write these things, saith he that holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know your works, I know your labor, I know your patience, and how you cannot bear them which are evil, and you have tried them which say that they are apostles, but they're not, and you have found them to be liars. You have borne and you have had patience, and for my name's sake you have labored and you have not fainted. Nevertheless, I have something against you, because you have left your first love. Remember, from where you have fallen and repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto you quickly and will remove your candlestick out of its place, except you repent. But this you hate. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. To him that overcomes, will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Folks, listen. Both geographically and historically speaking, this church was the closest to John at the time of the unveiling. You know, it was the most, if, if you want to look geographically at it, it was probably the most southwesterly of the seven churches of Asia Minor, which probably made it the kind of the first mainland stop. If you were leaving the Isle of Patmos uh, and selling to the mainland, the first place that you would arrive would be this church at Ephesus. You know, what's interesting about it, too, and if you, if you, you, can, you can find this in your, maybe a, a Bible encyclopedia or something like that, the, the map of, of these, these churches, their location, it's, it's how this not only was the letter arranged, but how the cities were arranged. And what it is, they're arranged in a, in, a, in, a, in a way in the order that they would be, the letters would be delivered if they were carried by courier. And first, Ephesus was the first place right off Patmos. Then you would go north to Smyrna. 
Then you'd continue north to Pergamos. Then you'd go around the north end of the mountain range to, to Thyatira. And you'd, then you'd move south to Sardis and to Philadelphia before making that final descent to deliver the last letter to the church at Laodicea. And so it's, it's, it's this mapped out. So the letters, not only written in a, uh, in a uh, chronological order, but they're also written geographically as well from where it's speaking to us. And so, unfortunately, folks, the, the modern church didn't stop at Laodicea. We just continued to descend further and further into it. And so verse 1 says this. It says, Under the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These sayings saith he that holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And so put, put down in your notes that this period of time, we've talked about this before, if you want to write it right there in the margin, this is between 33 A.D. and 100 A.D. 33 A.D. and 100 A.D. What you'll find, too, if, you, if, you, if you're studying your Bible, folks, as you study right, right, right Ephesians, and right there in the, in the margin of the, the Bible, put 33 A.D. to 100 A.D. And so when you go back and you, and you read, if you don't have maybe written paper notes with you, you'll still be able to see that in there as you study the Word of God. And so really what that represents, 33 A.D. to 100 A.D., or the birth of the church. This is the church in its infancy that we're going to be looking at in the, the, the church of Ephesus. You know, what's, what's interesting about Ephesus is that it really represents a period of time of, of great freedom and, 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 and liberty that was finally realized by people. You know, lo, no longer were they bound by the, really, what well, I could say the the impossibilities of the law. Why do I say that? Because Romans tells us that the, the carnal, the natural man, is not subject to the law. Neither indeed can he be. It's an impossibility to adhere to all those principles. That's why Jesus had to come to be the fulfillment of the law. And so now these folks in, in Ephesus... Man, they were the recipients of this new birth. Now, now think about how that applies to us. You know, we were under the law of sin and death when we were lost. You remember, some of you were, were bound in the, in the death of adultery. You were bound in the death of alcoholism. Or you were bound by the death of perversion or just uh, fear or whatever it may have been. And do you remember, boom, when the Spirit of God came upon you? and saved you, that you knew what it was to be a new person in Christ Jesus, that you suddenly, you just, there was this, you just saw things. Everything seemed brighter. Everything seemed joyous. And it was just an excitement in everything that you, you did. And it was all, all this was made possible for you and for them by the Spirit of God dwelling in them through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Up to that point, they had not realized it. But 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, or there is freedom. So under the angel, under the pastor, under the messenger, under the pastoral leadership of the church at Ephesus, he said, right, Ephesus equals, or Ephesus, the word Ephesus means permitted. Okay, write that in your notes. Ephesus means permitted. Why is that important? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because 1 Corinthians 6.12 says this. It says, everything is permissible for me. But not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but I will not be mastered by anything. And so, folks, what's he saying there? Paul the Apostle said, listen, yeah, in Christ Jesus there's been a great liberty. I've been broken free by those things. So there's a great permissiveness that comes in. And so, and I've said this before, you know, we, we, have the, we have the ability to choose as we come to Christ Jesus. We do. You know, when, when Adam was in the garden, he and Eve... They had the ability of free will. They had the ability of choice. But here's the thing that, you know, you may not think of. You know, we may still, you know what, we, can all, we all still got a choice. But do we all really have a choice? And I'm going to explain something to you. Explain this when we're talking about Romans. But you're going to see how it relates even to the church at Ephesus as well. You know, when Adam fell, you know, he fell from righteousness. 
prior to falling from righteousness, he could choose to walk righteous or he could choose to walk unrighteous. Once Adam fell, he never, he no longer had the choice in his natural, in his state right then to walk in righteousness anymore. He, he was tainted. And folks, before we genuinely come to Christ, we don't really have a, a, a free will towards righteousness because our efforts only produce self-righteousness, which is like filthy rags. But when we come to Christ Jesus, you know what is, is it brought back alive in us? Our freedom to choose. Our freedom to choose righteousness. So that's why Paul the Apostle was saying, listen, everything is permissible for me. Now i got a choice. Now I can choose today whom I'm going to serve, as it says in Joshua 24. Now I can, I can have the mind of Christ and I can know the, the perfect and acceptable will of God. That's why I say to people, you know, why, you know why dogs bark? Because they're dogs. Because that's who they are. A dog can't choose to speak. Now, me as a human, I can, I can say rough, rough. I can say meow. Now, you're not going to have a cat walk into the house and begin to hold a conversation to me in English or even to mimic that because he doesn't have that ability. Folks, when we come to Christ, we've got the permission. We've got the ability to choose righteousness because righteousness demands not some type of uh, uh, robot, but righteousness demands choice. And the only way that you can really genuinely have permission or have choice is to have the imputed righteousness and the power of God dwelling in your life. And so Ephesus had been given permission, so to speak, really to break free from the bondages of, of human ideologies, and not only just this, this religious but secular ideologies as well, in order so they could, they could have really a full understanding and opportunity to know God personally. And what we're going to do is we're going to see in a, in a minute what this permissiveness ended up leading to as we go on. So he says, you know what, he goes on to say, These things says, says he that holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And we know from our previous discussion, he is who? It's Jesus. The seven stars are the seven pastoral leaders, angels, messengers. Seven golden candlesticks are the seven churches, and as well as the seven church periods within the church age as well. So he, Jesus, seven stars, seven pastoral leaders, seven golden candlesticks, seven churches, and seven church periods. And now look at verse 2. He said, I know your works and your labor and your patience, and how you cannot bear them which are evil, and you have tried them which say they are apostles, but they're not, and you have found them to be liars. Folks, in the letter, and what you're going to see, and this is going to continue through these, these seven letters, he really starts typically with this, this commendation. He begins to say, uh, point out the good points and the good qualities that that church or that time period possessed. And so he, he, he brings it in on really a positive note. He's saying, listen, you're mine. I love you. And I'm, I'm, the, the reason I'm coming to you is because there is something salvageable in you. There is something righteous. There is something good. But, and so he starts out those things. And look what he, he goes on to say. When he's talking, he's giving them this, this commendation. Not the condemnation, but commendation. C-O-M-M-E-N-D-A-T-I-O-N. That type of commendation. And, and here's what he says. There's five things that he really points out. He says, I know your works or the things that you did. He said, I know your labor. Or labor and works, and to us it sounds the same. We always think of labor as work. But in the actual Greek, uh, works means the things that you did. Labor means the things that you actually had to go through. And so like a woman going through labor, that's, that's what it means by the word labor here. It don't mean, you know, go out and get your hands dirty, uh, you know, mowing the grass. Then the next thing he said, that was two. He said, I know your patience, or I know how that you endured. I know how you endured. I know your patience, or how you endured. And then he said, I know your, your dedication to holiness. Or how you lived. Then he said, I know your dedication to truth. Or how you stood upon the word. 
And so, folks, what this was, this was the book of Acts church. The, 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 the church at Ephesus, it represented what we see in the book of Acts church. This is what he was talking about. This is that, that church period that, that began in righteousness. It was built upon the testimony of Jesus. It was, it was built upon the foundations of the apostles. It was a church of holiness. It was a church of power. It was a church of unity. It was a church of authority. It was a church of dedication. It was a church that, that stood. It was a church that literally was birthed out of the, out of the loins of Jesus and, 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 and taught and founded upon the, the teachings of the apostles. And so they began really kind of as that, that prototype for all that would come after them. And, you know, they were designed really kind of to reflect the, the type of church body that the Lord was going to return for one day. And, and so the first thing he tell, told them, and I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to kind of go through those, those five things, that I know your works, I know your labor, I know your patience, I know your dedication to holiness, I know your, your dedication to truth, to show you really that picture, that unveiling of that, that modern church that was walking in the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know your works, this Acts church. And so we're going to go to Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. Acts 2, 42 through 47. I know your works, so I know the things that you did. Acts 2, 42 through 47 says this. He says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers, and fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and they sold the possessions of good, and parted them all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness, and singleness of heart, praising God, and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So he said, I know your works. And what was those works? Those works were, listen, they were together. They had fellowship with one another. They, they knew that they were totally dependent upon Jesus and to one another. They didn't forsake the assemblies of themselves together as the custom of some, but they drew more as they seen that day approaching. There was a relationship within the body of Christ. There wasn't all these segments. There wasn't all these divisions. There wasn't all these, these man-made denominational problems and all these, these issues like this. They were together, and it says they had everything in common. In, in other words, if, if, if I had an extra piece of land and you were in need, what would I do? I would sell that, and I would give the, the, the resources from that to people that had need. And he said, so I know what you did. He said, listen, you, you exemplified the, the type of, of, of character that I had. And it says that they continued daily. They're, 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 what they did was they, they got together. They studied the Word just like we're doing today. They, they broke bread. They had fellowship. They went from house to house. In other words, there was just that spirit of hospitality among them. And, and as a result, what happened? He added to the church daily, such as were being saved. And so what they really did is they represented that Matthew 25, 35, and 36 type of philosophy of church where he said, you know what, I was hungry and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You take, took me in. I was, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and, and you came unto me. And so this early church was a very benevolent church. They were a giving church. They were a church that, that went out of their way and so they were built upon that. But you know what? You know, it's interesting. The first thing that he says when he says, I know you, the first thing he points to is that. Just the whole giving nature that, that we supply the needs of the other, not just spiritually, but even in, in, in the natural type of practical type things. You, you look at most churches, their benevolence ministry is just a fraction. You know, most of them, if they say missions benevolence, you know, if they can get 10 to 15% of their, their budget, 
according, according to those things? Well, in the, in, the, in the church or in his early church, it was upside down. He put that as the top priority. The whole Matthew 25, 35, and 36 mentality of, 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 of whatsoever you do unto the least of these, you've done it unto him. How, you know, how we have, how we have, 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 have flogged the, the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ and strayed uh, really from the, the directive of what he has for it. Then he goes on to say, he says, I, I know your works and I know your labor. In other words, I know what you had to go through. Now look at Acts, we'll stay in Acts, because this is the Acts church. Acts chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Acts chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. This is on the day of Pentecost, the birth of this church, 33 A.D. They came out of the upper room, they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit of God gave the utterance. All these people that were gathered there in Jerusalem began to hear it. And it says, they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what does this mean? It says that they were mocked. And the mockers told them, said, you guys are full of new wine. And so think about what they had to go through. They had to go through a couple of things right there. They, they, were, uh, they had to go through the doubt that people had, and they had to go through the mocking. Now, folks, think about this. You know, how many, just, just personalize it for a minute. Think about when you came to the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about all the doubters. The people said, well, you're not real. You know, I, I remember my, myself when I was just a young man who, who came to the Lord Jesus Christ and was, was, was walking with Him and zealous after things of God. I had people that had been in church for a while tell me that I would, quote, unquote, get over it. You know, they, they acted like I was sick. You know, that, not that I was, I was saved, but they acted like I was sick. There was something wrong with me because I was excited about God. I wanted to read the Bible. I wanted to tell people about Jesus. I wanted to, to worship, worship God. They, they, they thought I was. And so as they doubted me. And not only that, but I got mocked. Well, you know, you're just young. You're just this. And they, they mocked. Ah, oh, you'll get over it. He just don't know what he's talking about. He's just immature. He's just these things. You know, one day he's going he's gonna to know. He's going to have to go through some things like I am. And his, his perspective is going to change. Well, I went through those things. and my, my perspective is getting better every single day as I draw nine to God. and Because he, he, he draws nine to me when I do that. And so what they had to go through was they had to go through doubt. They had to go through those naysayers. And they had to go through people that were, were mocking them. Now, the thing about us is we don't want to do that. You know, I, we do a lot of evangelism and outreach, and you, so you have to go and you have to talk to people one-on-one that you've never had a conversation with. You know, you're going to a complete stranger and you're having to, to bring up the conversation. You know what? Most people don't want to do that because they're afraid of rejection. They're afraid of being mocked. They're afraid of somebody's going to say, Ah, shut up. I don't want to hear what you got to say. Folks, if we can't go through that, you know, they went through it, and he commended them. I'm willing to get mocked. I'm willing to stand on, on a street corner under, under a wooden cross. I'm willing to go and hand out things. I'm, I'm willing to get spit upon, whatever it is, in, in order to identify with the church that he commended there in the book of Acts. Then Acts chapter 4, 1 through 3. They were doubted. They were mocked. Now look at what happened in Acts 4, 1 through 3. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And so they seized Peter and John because it was evening and they put them in jail until the next day. And so he said, I know your labor, I know what you're going through. Folks, really, they were, they were stopped in their tracks. They were, they were held up by the religious people. They were, they were opposed by, by people that, that should have been uh, uh, aware of the prophecies and everything else. And so they were cast into prison and prevented from, from preaching the gospel until the next day. Now, now, think about us for a moment. You know, I've been threatened by the police. I, I've, had the, the, I've had officers come up to me and say, well, you need to move on or I'm going to arrest you. And, and I had to stand my ground and say, well, you know what? I guess you're just going to have to arrest me. And so I'll just have to take my message from where I'm at into the jailhouse. 
Fortunately, they, they've never gone through it. You know, I've never had to, to, to fall victim to their, their intimidation in regards to becoming incarcerated. Uh, many other people have. There's people that are in prisons all over the world for, for the preaching of the gospel. There's Christians in China. There's Christians in, in Asia and different places that, that are being persecuted or being incarcerated for their faith. And so he said, I know what you had to go through. You had to go through the op- that type of opposition. And so I want you to think about something just for a minute in regards to what they, they had to go through. Here you got this, this group of people in the early church, primarily made up of Jewish converts to Christ. You know, they'd been raised a, a certain way, in that certain way that Judaism demanded that they, they, that they had a complete and total adherence, adherence excuse me, upon a certain law and, and certain customs. And, and now, those people that they once walked with, uh, looked at them as, as, you know, they were a pariah. They were people that nobody wanted to be around. They were ostracized. And so they had to go through a place of having the, the, the fellowship and the friendship and being welcomed into certain places. Now people began to view them as, as a sore thumb. Folks, i got news for you. As you stand upon the, the, the Apostles' Doctrine, if you stand upon those things, as, as, as God sees what you did and, and sees what you, you're going through, what you're going to do is you're going to find that there's many people that are not going to want to have anything to do with you. And are you going to be able to stand the test that they, they went through? Are you going to be able to stand when people say, listen, I'm not going to invite you to my, my, my party anymore. I'm not going to invite you to my gathering anymore. I'm not going to uh, invite you to lunch anymore because, listen, we just, we just don't see eye to eye on things. Are you going to allow... Uh, unrighteousness to come back into your life and to rob you of that testimony that they had. And so they, they had to stand really against the, the, the complete threat of being ostracized by friends, even, even their, their very families, that they had to be willing to, to, to die to those, those type of situations. And so he said, I know, your, uh, I, I know your works, I know your labor, I know what you had to go through. Then he said, I know your patience, or I know how you had to endure, how you had to go through some things. And just stick with Acts for a minute. Acts 5, 40 through 42. Acts 5, 40 through 42. Let's see if you've ever gone through this. It says they called the apostles in and had them flogged. In other words, they, they beat them. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. And the apostles left the Sanhedrin. Now listen to what they did when they left. Rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. And day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. And he said, listen, I know, your, I know your works, what you did. I know that you had to suffer some being ostracized. But he said, I know your patience. Man, you had to really endure some things. You had to endure getting even beat up for the gospel. Now, now, folks, we can't endure hard feelings. We can't endure somebody talking bad about us. We can't endure, and many times what we'll do is we'll back off the message in order to kind of soften the blow because we don't want to do it. But look what it said to them. They rejoiced that they had been found worthy of suffering the same disgrace that Jesus had previously suffered, that type of beating and flogging. And it says what they ended up doing is they put themselves back into that situation every single day. And it says they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Here's the problem, folks. I know people that will stop preaching the gospel because their finances go down. And I'm not talking about churches. I'm talking about individuals. You know, people will say, you know what, man, you, you'll hear them. How you doing? Man, I'm blessed and highly favored. Well, what's been going on? Man, i got a promotion at work. Man, I'm good. We just bought a new car. Man, God is good. God is blessing. Man, God is providing. I'm the head and I'm not the tail. You'll see them a year later and they lost that job. Well, how you doing? Oh, man. I, it's, well, you go to church? No, I'm not going. Well, what happened? Well, God let me down. 
Well, what do you mean God let you down? Well, you know, I lost my job. And, you know, and, and I tried to name it, and I tried to claim it, and, you know, well, nothing happened. And they don't endure. They're not willing to go through anything, and so they don't continue to preach the Word. Folks, listen, sometimes you just got to preach right on through the problems. That's, that's the good news. You just, you just preach yourself through the problem, and you just rejoice. Not that you had to go through the problem, but you need to be like them. We need to start rejoicing that we get to go through the situation. That, that, that we've been found worthy to suffer afflictions for the name of Jesus. We need to, we need to praise God when, we, when we're ridiculed. He said, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and speak all manner of evil against you falsely. He said, For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He said, Rejoice. And be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. You know what? Beat me, hit me, oppose me, come against me. Praise God for it. I remember years ago we took a team into the streets of New Orleans during Mardi Gras. And we'd been witnessing out there a few days. And, and a group of people came by. And, and part of the team started to, to, to engage and witness. And one of the guys was going to start mocking and saying something. And one of the people with him grabbed him. And he said, stop it. Don't do that to them. He said, I saw him the other day. He said, they love it when you persecute them. You know, and so evidently the team, man, somebody persecuted them. Man, they just rejoiced and they were exceedingly glad. You know, I want that testimony. I want people to say, don't even bother persecuting him because, man, that just, that just encourages him even the more. He just wants to hear it all. Don't you want that to be? Man, you know what? Man, he must be going through problems. Why is he sad? No, he's happy. You know, I want my problems to be marked by my rejoicing. So he said, I know your patience. I know how you endure it. So that was the look at that, that the, what the people were like during that first century church. They rejoiced in trials and in tribulations. Now, now look at this. This is Stephen, the story of Stephen in, in Acts chapter 7, verses 58 through 60. You know, Stephen was preaching the gospel full of the Holy Spirit. And it says that they, they, they took him and they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. They hit him with, with rocks. And it says, And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the young man's feet, whose name was Saul. That was Paul the Apostle before he was Paul the Apostle. It was Saul of Tarsus. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And it says, Stephen kneeled down and cried out with a loud, loud voice. And look what he said. He said, Lord, do not lay their, this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, now think about what he just said. It says that he was going through, he was enduring things. They were stoning him. They were intent on killing him. And what did he say? He said, Lord God, don't hold this to their charge. He said, Lord, don't, he said, don't take away from my blessing by making them think that it was about them. God, I'm, I'm not seeing this as what they're doing. I'm seeing this as by what I get to endure, that I'm going to be patient. I'm going to get to endure this. Now, now think about yourself just for a second. Look at, here's the personal application. Talk about kind of a historical application, but think about a personal application here. What about you? What about the last time somebody hits you with something? They, they hit you with, uh, with an offense. They hit you with a snide remark. They, they hit you because they slighted you and you, you didn't get the attention or you didn't get what you wanted. Did you, did you look at God and say, God, you know what? Man, I thank you for this. I'm, I'm rejoicing. I'm calling upon God and saying, receive my spirit. But God, don't, don't hold it to them. What does the word tell us? It says, bless those who curse you, love your enemies, and pray for those who despitefully use you. Folks, that's the heart and the attitude of the New Testament church. We don't need to get bent out of shape when somebody offends us. We need to rejoice and bless God and bless them and pray for them in the midst of that. Then we're the ones that are enduring and we're commended for our patience through those things. So let me ask you, what what were they willing to endure for the sake of the gospel? 
Anything. They were willing to go through anything. And we say that sometimes. God, you know what? I need you to do a work in my life and do whatever it takes. Well, until whatever it takes begins to rub us wrong and we don't like what it does in our life. Galatians uh, 6 9 says, and you, you probably know this, it says, Don't be weary in well doing, but in due season you will reap if you do not faint. In other words, you'll reap if He knows your patience, if He sees your endurance. And so, what are we typically willing to endure for the sake of the gospel? They were willing to endure everything or anything, usually very, very, very little. And you'll look at how we pattern, quote-unquote, the modern gospel. We, 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 we preach the gospel in our cozy confines. We do. We have the padded pews, and we have the air-conditioning buildings. We have the multimedia. And so, really, there's no patience, and there's no endurance. There's really no going through. We have multiple services. That way we can accommodate your schedule. All these, see, what, see what I'm saying? Everything is not for endurance. Everything is for comfort. And you think about it, we're going, to, we're going to see that unfold as we go through this. And he says, I know your, your dedication to holiness. I know how you lived. And so uh, that's, that's the next thing on our, on our list. I know how you lived, which was number four. First Peter chapter 1, 15 to 16. First Peter uh, chapter 1, 15 to 16. But as he which has called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be holy. For I am holy. Folks, listen. Holiness was not an optional message for the early church. It was the message of the, of the early church. Excuse me. So, I'll say it again. Holiness was not an optional message of the early church. Holiness was the message of the early church. I want you to consider something just for a second. And, and you've probably seen it and used it uh, contextually other ways or, or uh, uh, applicably other ways. But look at Second Corinthians chapter 6, 14 through 18. Here's, here's that early church. Here's the Ephesus mentality of the church. Here's that church age, the 33 A.D. to 100 A.D. Here's what, here's what they taught in verse 14 of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship does righteousness have with unrighteousness? And what communion does light have with darkness? What concord has Christ with Baal? Or what part has he that believes with an infidel or an unbeliever, someone godless? Verse 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you, uh, for you are the temple of the living God. We saw that in 1 Corinthians 3.16. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, here's the holiness message, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch those things that are unclean, and then I will receive you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. Folks, listen. He said, I know your dedication to holiness and righteous. The word tells us to pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no one shall see the Lord. Folks, listen, without holiness, you will never see the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Do you hear what I'm saying? Without holiness, you will never have those times of the revelation of the person of God. You can, you can walk and you can try to ascertain things that you want to in the natural, but until you walk in holiness, you will never see the Word of God opened up to you. You will never see the Spirit of God revealed to you. You will never genuinely see the, the manifestation of God's power and His majesty and His might operating in your life without the presence of holiness. So they were commended for the holiness that God in, was, that was in their life. Then he goes on to say, the, the fifth thing that I, that I had on my list here was, he says, I know your dedication to the truth, or how that you stood upon the word. I know your dedication to the truth. Now, where do we get that? We talked about this in our teachings. Acts 17, verses 10 and 11. I know your dedication to the truth. How you stood on the word. Acts 17, verses 10 and 11. Here's what it says in Acts 17, 10 and 11. It's Acts, church, uh, of the age of, of Ephesus. 
And it says, The brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, whose coming there went into the synagogues of the Jews. In other words, they showed up and they immediately walked in and began to teach. And it says, These were more noble than those in Thessalonica. In other words, this was a higher breed of people. This, these people had it going on than those that they had met in Thessalonica. And here's the reason. And that they received the word with our readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. They had a dedication to the truth. They, 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 they wanted to build upon knowing the word of God. They wanted to do what Paul said to Timothy. Study. Show yourself approved. You know, be that workman. Rightly divide the word of truth. Then you don't need to be ashamed. Then you don't have to, 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 to get caught in the, in the traps and the snares of, of, of false teachers and seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. I want to read that verse where he says, I know your works, I know your labor and your patience, how you cannot bear them which are evil, have you tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and you have found them to be liars. Now think about what was going on. Evidently, you had people that were coming and saying, well, I'm apostle this, and I'm apostle that, and, you know, I've got, you know, God has given me this, or God spoke to me. And it says, what they call them? Liars. Called them out. They called them liars. Folks, listen, try that today, and you know what you're going to be called? You're going to be called the revival police. You're going to be called a heresy hunter. You're going to be called contentious. You're going to be called everything except what Jesus did. And Jesus commended them. And Paul the Apostle commended them. Jesus did right here to the church at Ephesus. Paul the Apostle did right here to to the Berean church in Acts chapter uh, uh, 17, verses 10 and 11. And so it it says, I know your dedication to truth. Folks, really what there is, is there's been this wholesale abandonment of, of, of really being willing to, to stand upon the Word of God and to challenge those things. I've said it before in previous teachings, but I'll say it here. If I say something contrary to the Word of God, I welcome your input. I welcome the correction. Not only do I welcome it, but you're really obligated through the Word of God to say, hey, listen, you were off a little bit on that. Or you said something that was false. You're obligated to do that. I'm not untouchable. I'm, I'm, I'm not... Uh, in uh, 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 Aaron and everything that I say and everything that I do. And so that's why we've got to stay so close, keep it so close to the best, and stay founded upon the Word of God and allow the Word of God to bring an interpretation. And so he commended them, I know your dedication to the truth. I know that you're going to stand upon the Word. I know that you're going to call those things out. But what's happened today is, is uh, the church uh, uh, has adopted this Touch not my anointed and do my prophets no harm. In other words, don't say anything about somebody teaching error. God will deal with them. No, God, God is using us to deal with those things. He, he tells us, he says, don't, don't receive an accusation against the elder except there be two or three witnesses. He said, but afterwards, he said, rebuke them openly that all may fear. And so we've got an obligation, just like they were commended, that they did not tolerate that. Those people that said they were apostles or prophets or pastors or teachers or, or whatever else, it says that they found them, they measured them against the word of God, and they said, you are a liar. And so that was the attitude in the heart of the first century church. Man, they'd call things out. But the only way you can call things out, folks, is to know what the Word of God says. Otherwise, that you're going to be caught in every snare. I've, I've talked to people in the past that say, listen, I, I, don't tell me that because I don't really want to know that. I just want to, I want to be naive about it. I just would rather not even have an understanding. People don't want to know the truth because then their favorite TV preacher or radio preacher or internet preacher, whatever it is, may be found in error. Then they have to go back and backtrack the thing that, that happens. And so... We've got to understand that they were, they were uh, commended that he said, I know your dedication to the truth. And so what set them apart was that they stood steadfastly upon the apostles' doctrine. Then he goes on to say, that was the commendation. Now, here's the condemnation. He said, nevertheless, he said, I have something against you because you've left 
your first love. Now, now folks, think about Matthew twenty four twelve. He says that because iniquity abounds, he said the love of many will lack, wax cold. Now, now, what was that first love? Well, we know what the, the, the love is. He said, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Here's, here's the, here's the uh, good way to put it. Here's the risk that, it, that is run many times. Here's the trap sometimes that's set. Sometimes we get so busy doing the things of God that we cease to really know God. And we think that our relationship with Him is equated with, you know what, I went out and did an outreach, and so that must mean I'm right with God. Or I went and, uh, you know, I, I fed somebody that was hungry, so I, I'm right with God. I got an email the other day, and there was a young lady that we've been ministering to that was in a bad relationship. She was living with a guy uh, that was totally lost. And she wanted to come out from that. God convicted her. She had, she had ran into a couple of our team out in public, a place, and, man, she decided to come out from that. But then she began to get drawn back into it. And so I sent her an email, just a, really a, an email of, uh, of encouraging her. You cannot walk in that. And she sent me one back. And basically, she wanted to justify her sin. She wanted to say, listen, well, I can do this. You know, he's uh, basically, uh, 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 he wants to know more about God. And maybe if I'm just doing good things. and He's, he's asking me how we can go and feed homeless people. Folks, listen, we can get so caught up in that that we never see a transformation in our life. You've got to take the time to stay on your face in prayer. You've got to stay in the Word of God and allow Him to speak to you. All these nice, good works, what they become is they become dead works. And there's no life in it whatsoever. And so it becomes the works of, the, of, of, of fleshly and carnality, even though they're nice things. And so what it becomes is it's, it's no different than the American Red Cross. It's no longer the rugged cross that brings life. It's just the, a red cross that just brings good things, a hot meal or something else. And so what he rebuked them for, he says, listen, you had all these things going for you, and certainly you did all these things which are fantastic. He said, but you got away from the most important thing. At the end of the day, it wasn't about all the things that you do. It wasn't all your ministry accomplishments. It wasn't all your, 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 the accolades that you received. It's, do you know me? Do you love me? Do you trust me? And he tells them, here's the solution. He said, remember where you came from. Remember from where you have fallen and repent. Repent means it's the, 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 the moral compunction to think differently would be your definition of that. And he says, I, you know, I know where you're coming from, but he said, what you need to do is repent and go back and do the first works. What was the first works that they did? The first works that they did was that they were in one place and one accord. They were all together. They, they sought Him. They, they, they searched the Scriptures. They, they prayed. They, they, they loved one another. Then they went out and did those things. He said, go back and do your first works. And He said, or otherwise what I'm going to do is I'm going to take your candlestick out of its place. In other words, I'm going to remove you. Folks, you know that's exactly what happened historically to the church at Ephesus. When they just begin to get caught up in a works type of mentality, what happens? They, they grew weary in it. And, 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 and Mohammedism came in. We, we know it by Islam. And so that's what happened in that region. They began to get caught up in these things, and so there was no intimacy with Christ. And so what did they begin to reproduce? They began to re- reproduce works-motivated type of people, people that were bound by legalism rather than the faithful uh, relationship with Jesus. And so Mohammedism came in and it overran it till literally there was no, by, by, by the end of, by 180, there was no trace of the church at Ephesus. There was no one in Ephesus that claimed to be a Christian. It was removed from its place. Folks, that's a sad commentary. Pardon? By 100 A.D.? 
It had, the, the traces of the Christians, now there was the, the, the structures, but the traces of people that were following Christianity, they had been wiped out as a result of departing from their first loves. But he said this. He said, but this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And this is really kind of a, a foreshadowing, not to the, the, the next church age, but the one that's going to follow after this. He said, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. The, the deeds of Nicolaitans, Nicolaitans, and we'll get into this uh, in, our, in our third church, it's those that had victory or power over the laity. In other words, he said, you didn't allow people to have this, this superior type of mentality. Now, now, folks, if you think about this, that just for just a second, how powerful that is. Now, here's the, here's the age of the first apostles. Here's the age of, of the, they saw miracles on a daily basis. Here's the age where they had people. They, the apostle Paul was there. But they did not hold them in a place, an untouchable type of situation. He said, listen, you didn't let that happen. You stayed humble, in other words. You didn't allow this, this hierarchy to come in that you had these people that were untouched. Certainly they had a, administrative offices. They had ministry things that God honored and God put people in that and the people did. But it wasn't this untouchable type, type of thing that would slip into the church that's still present even to this day. That, you know, you have these pastors that are, that are brought in from the back door and they've got their security detail and afterwards they're ushered out. Folks, I'll tell you what, if, if a pastor needs a security detail, he just needs to get saved. If, he don't, if he's up there preaching a gospel and calling people to faith, but he's got armed guards around him, fearful of what somebody, he, he's not preaching out of faith, he's preaching out of fear. If they, if they think that you know, they can't talk to people because they'll lose their anointing, I'll tell you what, that's certainly, what, what about Jesus? You know, people were touching him and, and, and resting upon him all the time. But he, he commended them, he said, listen, you didn't put up with the, with the deeds of the Nicolaitans. In other words, you didn't allow people to set themselves apart and say, well, there's this great gap between the leadership and, 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 and the sheep or the flock. Then <coughs> he says, in verse 7, he says, those that have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. In other words, listen, it's not just to them, but it's to each and every one of us to be willing to apply this truth to our life. To him that overcomes, he said, I will give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. In other words, you're going to get to, if you if you'll overcome, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony. He says, if you'll overcome those struggles, how do you overcome? By just what he said there in verse 5, by repenting. Folks, listen, our overcoming comes when we're repenting, we're changing the way that we think. Folks, we're totally out of time this morning. The church of Ephesus, probably what we'll, what we'll do, it kind of looks like it as the way the time works. We'll probably try to cover a church in each lesson. So we'll give a full dedication to each one, look at these details that are happening. So what we just covered was the, the church at Ephesus, or that, that, that first part of the church age from 33 A.D. all the way to 180. Tomorrow we're going to pick up right there, uh, not just historically, but, but spiritually as well, and see how these things unfold. Folks, we're out of time. Thank you so much. If you want to go back in and listen to these later, you can go to our website, www.biggrace.com, www.biggrace.com. Click on Raven Institute. After each week, the next Monday, the previous week, classes will be right there for your free download. If you need prayer, send that to pray at biggrace.com. If you have questions, raven at biggrace.com. Folks, we love you, and we got a bit of advice for you today. Get into God's Word, and God's Word will get into you.